Due to COVID-19, this podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. TV DNA review of Line of Duty episode six, series six, in the presence of Superintendent Adam Hemming, DCS Neil Shepek, and DCI Damien Cooper. Good evening. Jesus, Mary Joseph and the wee donkey. That's the cracker. Well, another interesting episode. I think we learned some bits, maybe not quite so much in other episodes. Lots of recapping i think in this episode neil what were your first thoughts yeah no i I completely agree there's been loads of recapping and also kind of clarifying as well which i thought was great i think if they'd have reduced the no comments out of the episodes um it would have been half the length (laughs) but it was fantastic just for kind of getting up to speed and yeah just clarifying joe's relationships Yeah, I did write down at one point, stop asking questions you already know the answer to. She's just going to say no comment. Damo, what were your thoughts? No comment. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be a long episode. (laughs) I'll give you a long episode. Yeah, I thought there was some really good stuff. There was one moment that got me a little bit worried, but we'll talk about it no doubt later on. And for different reasons than maybe most other viewers were worried. But I thought there was some really good stuff in there. Well, we know now that it was Ryan who took the bullet or two bullets. Um, which was obviously the cliffhanger that we were all on the edge of our seats about. And Kate being framed, but then, as we know, Kate then got out of it because Joe took a bullet for Kate. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I was really glad when they opened up Brian's vest to show the two gunshots there, so we weren't worried about Kate being injured anywhere. I was a bit confused at first why Kate hadn't just stuck around, why Kate and Joe had fled. Did that throw you at all or were you just, did you, how you work that out sort of immediately? I mean, this leads on to what I was worried about, possibly for other reasons than most viewers. Yeah, I guess maybe the generous view on it would be that she suddenly lost contact with Steve and that she possibly thinks that someone higher up is involved in this conspiracy or Joe said something similar. And so they've just done a runner because they don't know if they're going to suddenly be intercepted by the OCG. That's the generous viewing of it. It certainly wasn't explicit, um, but I wondered whether Kate knew that if they came and both of them were still there, she would have to reveal that Joe led her to that place and was conspiring to murder her. So she was trying to give Joe the benefit of the doubt and find out from Joe. I don't know, it's a bit of a, I think the theory has holes in it, but that's the only thing that I could really come up with. Equally sound. I think actually that they just panicked and, and fled. We may never find out. Talking about Kate and Joe fleeing, what about that moment when she said, give me your gun? I thought that was a fantastic moment because there, there, there was obviously a, a tension as to what Joe was going to do with it, i.e. would she finish off the job? after she lured Kate to be killed and then was going to kill her then. But she put her handprints on the gun. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that. 
I mean, I thought it was very trusting. If someone had lured me to, to a place to be executed and then five minutes later said, oh, oh, just give me your gun and I'll make sure you're definitely safe. I mean, I, I wouldn't trust that. No way. Again, I was just really confused. I didn't clock at the time that she was just putting her fingerprints on the gun and that's what she was doing. I, I wasn't sure whether Kate wasn't letting go or Joe wasn't taking it. It was a bit of a confusing moment for me, but obviously later on was clarified by Joe's claim that she shot Ryan. Yes. Sorry, Adam. I, I got it at the time in the sense that once nothing happened, it was really clear that that was a sense of trust between her and Kate. Like, Kate got it. Um, she, it was clear that, that she knew what she was doing. So it was like, look, this is me proving to you that I will go down with you. Let's follow Kate and Joe's journey then. So they take Steve's car. It felt to me like there was a shot at one moment where there was somebody watching Kate and Joe in the car park. And that was just the way that the camera sort of panned round from behind a pillar suggested there was somebody watching there. Although why somebody would be in Steve Arnott's basement, I don't know. Maybe they were following, maybe there were eyes on the altercation between Ryan and Joe and Kate and they followed them from there. Well, we know later on, of course, that all AC-12 vehicles had trackers on them. So it could very well be the case that the moment K goes AWOL, someone with the OCG, or maybe not someone nefarious at all, will know that Steve is, Steve's vehicle is likely to be a place where they may head. Or I think it's Steve's flat, isn't it? It's the back entrance to Steve's flat. Um, so, yeah, there's a chance that that someone will be keeping an eye on that location. Before the, the car chase, which we'll talk about in a minute, Joe drove Kate to the print shop, pointed out where Terry Boyle's apartment was. All of that becomes clear later on in the interview that we'll, that we'll get on to. And then the car chase. I mean, how exciting was that? I know there's lots of people saying that the Lakewell van scene was Martin Compton's audition for Bond. This felt like it was Vicky McClure's audition to be the stick. I thought Kate's skills were amazing. Phenomenal. When she just reversed and then whacks on the handbrake turn. I mean, it was great. Just before that, what I thought was quite interesting, we were talking before was it last episode <laughs> where Arnett was at pains to let um, was it Fair, Fairfax, whoever know that he's been promoted. And then we have suddenly Steve's got this sick car. <laughs> and Kate saying about he's promoted, he's now got an adult's car. I thought that was very funny. Did you notice the worried look on Steve's face when he got to the scene and there's all these people with guns pointing them at his car? <laughs> <laughs> no one wants a scratch on that. No way. I mean, that would definitely mess up your no claims. And talking about the fact that we once again hear about the fact that Steve's promoted, it made me think that what could happen at the end of this all with Ted gone? If Carmichael is bent and she goes, Steve will be the most senior ranked officer, right? Unless Kate comes back. So I, I was wondering if this is, because we've suddenly had all this talk about Steve getting a promotion. And most of this series, in fact, has been about Steve's place within AC12 and whether he can go any higher. Are these all things to tell us that maybe when the dust settles, Steve will be the boss? I think that's a good theory. I, I will bring up again, as I do every week, he's deleted his emails. And this time we see it's a final warning, threatening him with suspension if he doesn't rock up to his occupational health meeting. Yeah, that's definitely leading to something. Enough of the diversion. 
we find ourselves at the standoff, helicopter, armed police everywhere. What did everyone think? Who thought, right, this is it, curtains for Kate? I don't know about curtains, Steve's wearing those on his back, but I, I think it was quite clear that they weren't going to get out of it. Like, both of them were going to be arrested, and that obviously raised stakes for us as viewers, because we didn't know that Joe could have thrown Kate under the bus in her interview, and as we know, she didn't. And then after Joe's interview, Kate's out, and although Carmichael has given a little threat, like I'm watching you type thing, but at the time I never worried that either of them were going to die, they were going to get arrested, and I guess if anything that was the worry as to who would end up taking the blame. Again, I think I was really confused at this point. I mean, as Joe says in her interview, it was self-defence. The shooting of Ryan was self-defence. So Kate, really, apart from leaving the scene, which she could explain, she hasn't really done anything wrong. So I was just confused as to why. Again, I, I'm trying to think, she said they were going to be framed. Does she think that once she's relieved of that weapon, she is no longer safe? The OCG want her dead. That's as good as anything, really, because I was saying earlier that I was worried in this scene and it wasn't necessarily that Kate was going to cop it, although I did briefly think that. My main worry was that this didn't seem to make sense. Like you were saying that you were confused. She stood there with the helicopter light bright in her face. And I just thought, why is there no explanation going on? Why does she suddenly think that Steve has ratted her out? It just doesn't seem to make any sense. And so that was my worry, was not necessarily that Kate was going to cop it, but this is what we're starting to see about how they're going to wrap up this series. And I say, please, let this not be the beginning of a slightly awkward, narratively dubious way of wrapping things up. Steve thinks the reluctance is because he's told Kate that something's going on with Ted. And that's why he says it's my fault and goes up to try and resolve things. We know that Kate doesn't trust Ted fully, but it was just that I just thought, why, why does she suddenly think that the OCG have got Steve? Given everything that's happened in this series, why would she suddenly be like, oh no, Steve's ratted me out. Steve's compromised. I just found that really difficult to believe and I didn't necessarily think that it was just something that Kate would be thinking at that point but you know it's an intense moment for her. I don't think necessarily that she thought that the OCG had got Steve but just that Steve was doing his job and not being loyal not being a Ben Copper and you know like he was doing his job. What do we think of the order to Chloe to shred the photo of Osborne. Clearly, Carmichael shuts down the questioning anytime he gets near Osborne. She's been brought in by Osborne. Carmichael is clearly bent doing things because Osborne is telling her to do them. She must know something. And Osborne is clearly a wrong one. So there's a question now, is Osborne H or is Thurwell? We did find out from Ted that it is the bent copper formerly known as H, now known as the fourth robber. Fourth robber, now known as the fourth man. I'll um, give you fourth man. There's no H in Osborne. There's an H in Carmichael. Do you honestly think, Adam, that they have to have an H in their name? <laughs> the name that they're known by on the TV series. I mean, they no. could have a middle name. They could have a nickname. Or they could just be called H. I will point out there is an H in Carmichael and an H in Thurlow. 
whilst there's not an H in Osborne, there is in Philip, and that's his first name. Now, it's interesting you mention Big Phil, Uncle Phil, but I've seen something this week online about Carmichael, since we were just talking about Colin Carmichael, and I think Lakewell said, look to, to the race claim, and so Carmichael is an anagram of race claim, and all that is missing is the letter H. Now, I think possibly, <laughs> as Adam would say, this is line of duty fandom gone mad. <laughs> but equally, as a fan of the, they must have an H in their name, Adam, I wondered what your thoughts were on that. I really enjoy the theory, but I totally don't believe it. it's connected. I think pointing to the race claim and then the Lawrence Christopher, what was it, Lawrence Christopher case, is just, yeah, look at these people who are involved in this and you'll find who you're looking for. All of us have got a whole week to wait between episodes. We've got plenty of time to come up with theories. As Ted would say, let's not wait for the crumbs, son. Then we get the interview with Joe. Shall we do a quick fire round of things we learnt in Joe Davidson's interview? Obviously, it went on for ages because she kept saying no comment. But I wonder if we can just bash through. Let's start with just three things that we learnt in that interview. Neil. Okay, my first thing is we learned for certain that Tommy Hunter was both her father and uncle. Demo. I was going to say she's from a very close family. <laughs> You've already taken that from me. We found out about what happened in Glasgow and her fall from being a law-abiding citizen to copper to stooge. But We're doing quick fire. My- I know, sorry. <laughs> I, just, I don't even know what quick fire is. Yes, she admitted to setting things up so that Buckles would take the fall. That was two things, but we'll give you it. I'm going to go with, we found Gail Vella's equipment in the lockbox of the print shop. I can't believe that the OCG, when they left the print shop, left the computer. Or was that Joe dropping that? I think Joe put that in the print shop. No, I don't know, actually. Now I'm confused. Because that is pretty shoddy work, from even from an OCG. Something just a complete treasure trove of information and evidence. They just leave it behind. I think the interview made it clear that Joe is being forced into her situation and wants to get out of it. So maybe she did leave that there to try and get herself out of the situation. I think she says that she didn't know that evidence was there until much later, until Terry Boyle was, was brought in. And when she looked at where Terry Boyle's address was and saw the print shop was right by it, she put two and two together then. And that's why she knew that evidence was there. That was her claim in the end. So the second thing I felt we all learned during the interview is how Anna Maxwell Martin spent a lot of time affecting at drama school a smug look. She definitely has that as native on her Spotlight CV. (laughs) That's one for people in the industry. One of my favourite moments, this is a little off topic, but related to Carmichael, is when she asks Steve what unexpected circumstances might be. And he says, an unexpected change in in the order of command. It's a real slap from Steve, I think, which gets knocked straight back down when she tells him that Ted's on borrowed time. Also, the big thing that came out of this, the hammered the nail into this, is that Ted is on borrowed time. He said, I have no time. He said it twice. So that's also added a sense of urgency 
for, well, we've only got one episode left after this. We learned that Joe's computer was communicating with a computer in Spain, which obviously links to our friend Thurwell in Spain. I wonder whether he was just routing that call from somewhere else. I don't think it definitely proves he was the one typing. What's our thoughts on this? Because they've got a fantastic actor, Jimmy Nesbitt, that I've actually been um, mistaken for in the past. And they've got a massive actor, so surely he's going to play a large part. I thought he would turn up in this episode. There's only one episode left of this series. So, I mean, you know, why, why, why would you get an actor of that stature just to be a, a photo? I was really surprised that we didn't see him or maybe that's what the last episode of this series is gonna focus on do we think thurwell is the man in the spanish villa at the end you know a man and a woman are dead in that villa i don't think so no i don't think for a second i think if thurwell had been killed in the spanish villa they would not have cast jimmy nesbitt just for his monk shot it's muy complicado the amigo <laughs> So it seemed to be that Joe broke down when she was asked questions about the Lawrence Christopher case. I was trying to remember what it was she didn't say no comment to. It felt like she broke pretty easily, actually, the first time. She said no comment to everything. <laughs> no, there was a few things she did answer. One of the theories that I have is that it was anything related to who she believed her father to be. She obviously finds out her father was Tommy Hunter, biologically but she believed that her mother was raped by a bent copper. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, that the, the Tommy stuff, because I know we've already kind of talked about it, but when she was in the car with Kate and Kate was saying, look, just come in and, and just say what's happened, Joe says, well, even Tom... And then she stops herself from giving away that they could get to even Tommy. Then that was kind of the beginning of her breaking and moving from no comment once we'd had that bomb dropped. I actually meant to say she went back to saying no comment when questioned about anything that could lead to finding out who her father, inverted commas, was. Do we think that she knew that already and was avoiding it? Or do we think that she genuinely discovered it during the interview? I think she discovered it. She looked pretty fucked up by that bit of information. Yeah. I mean, it's no surprise. She knew Tommy was a bad dude. But I don't think she realised that he was a bad enough dude to rape his own sister when she was 15. The other interesting thing I wanted to pick up on from the interview was the idea that Tommy Hunter was holding the OCG together and that now without him, there are different factions. So potentially there could be multiple sort of bent coppers all working against each other or working in different ways. Well, we know that, well, at least we've been led that there's been four men and we're looking for the fourth man not that it necessarily needs to be a man it's very clear though that there's still someone masterminding this whole thing pulling the strings with Carmichael pulling the strings with Davidson etc so there's still some elements of everything being together why do you think Joe protects Kate it's her only way to, to have any sort of redemption to kind of at least start to square away the horrendous things that she's done, is that if she, as Neil said, takes the bullet for Kate, then at least Kate's not going to get drawn into this anymore. She didn't want to kill her before, 
but she was forced to, to draw her to that scrapyard. So I think that's just her way of, of trying to right at least one wrong. Do you think there's also an element of genuinely liking Kate? I'm not going as far as love, Kate, but they set up the, the whole relationship with Joe and Frida and then Joe and Kate. And so do you think there's something more emotional than just wanting to do the right thing? I think there is from both sides, actually. I think we learnt the conversation in the car was very, you know, why did you bring me onto the team? Why did you join the team? I thought you were trying to get close to me to find out more, all of that sort of stuff. So I think they were making an effort to show us that there were genuine feelings for each other in that. I was going to say whether we think that this whole thing is is genuine and we're going to see any more of it or whether it's just queer baiting, which is the accepted term, I believe. In what way queer baiting? When you hint at a same-sex relationship between characters, but they never actually happen. And so we had all this in the first couple of episodes, the holding hands and the thank yous and the looks. And I mean, that's kind of how they were setting this up. We talked about this in the first episode. And in fact, you, Neil, were saying that you were worried that Joe's sexuality would be used as some kind of negative signifier to her personality and her behaviour. And so I'm just wondering, put it out there, if it isn't romantic, is, is this a case of queer baiting? And that's rather unfortunate if it is. They haven't used Joe's sexuality as part of her being a villainous character, but potentially that's been set up to justify why she takes the bullet for Kate. Or why she goes down for Kate. I think Joe is a complex character and I think she's, you know, she's been well drawn. So I don't feel like they're guilty of queer baiting in this instance. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's an interesting point. I, I brought it up very early on about why she was a lesbian slash bisexual character. One of the other interesting things in this interview, when Joe did say that she had killed Ryan. And the looks between Steve and Ted over Carmichael or behind Carmichael. Like cheeky boys trying to get away with a little, you know, with a little smile or a nod or a wink whilst the teacher's not looking. That was great. And also, I think both Ted and Steve, even though they didn't know it to be definitely true, were really happy that Kate was off the hook. The other thing, the final thing I want to bring up about the interview, we've gone, I think what, five and a half, nearly six seasons, and anyone in that interview room, no matter what rank, uh, no matter who they are, has usually just had the one lawyer. The OCG are clearly worried enough about what Joe might say. They provided her with two lawyers. Only one that got speaking credit, though. I'm sure budgetary reasons for that. Yeah, and that's and he's obviously the same person that they had when she was brought in first time as well. Speaking of familiar faces, we had a couple in the prison, didn't we, towards the end when Joe enters her cell? I mean, is there no other prisons they could send her to? We know that Blackthorn is dodgy as fuck. But that's why they send her there, because it's under their control. Totally, and it's Carmichael that sent her there. I mean, it doesn't matter that she's 24 hours. I mean, she could get, she could end up having a bit of a, an Epstein moment where... It doesn't matter that there's cameras 24 hours a day. If the guards are compromised... She could have a Lakewell moment. I do want to come on to some predictions for the final episode, and one of them was whether Joe lives or dies. So let's let's just see if we've got anything else we want to cover before we get to that. I did enjoy the Spanish translator 
and uh, Kate and Steve coming in and Ted shouting at the top of his voice about what was going on and her just sitting there going, I'm trying to talk in Spanish, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was some Spanish real... Going, ¿Qué? ¿Qué? <laughs> <laughs> no entiende, no entiende. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That was classic. I'm surprised Ted didn't just take the headset off her and just speak very loudly and slowly <laughs> to the man. <laughs> what is happening? There, who is dead? <laughs> the little Manuel from Forty Towers accent. After that scene, though, we had another trip in the elevator of inner turmoil. Steve and Kate have already had their their go in the lift, and here we saw Ted, almost like something out of a boy band music video, looking at his reflection. What do we think? How how close to the edge is Ted? There was definitely something weird about it. I don't buy it's all just he's running out of time. There's got to be more. We still don't know why he gave Corbett's widow that money. There's a link to Thurwell in that they're both... Well, we know James Nesbitt is from Northern Ireland, so there's potentially a link between the two of them. Two actors were born in the same place. Well, would you cast James Nesbitt if you didn't want him to play a Northern Irishman? Yes, I would. It's just a theory. Are you implying that he suffers from what's known as Ray Winston syndrome? Or Sean Bean syndrome, where they just always talk in their own accent. Sean Connery syndrome. I'm a Russian, but I talk in Scottish. Or <laughs> well, some very dodgy Irish accents in The Untouchables. I'll go on record. I think James Nesbitt is a fine actor capable of doing many different accents. I think if you wanted to cast a Northern Irish actor of a certain age, James Nesbitt would be pretty high up your list. Yeah, no, of course, we're just joking. To move on from Nesbo, We kind of talked about briefly, once Joe had said that she'd killed Ryan and Kate just had to clear things up with Carmichael's teams and Carmichael gave the kind of uh, Columbo-esque stop just before she walked out the door and said, oh, two shots in quick succession, like she'd been arm trained, but she hasn't, but you have, Kate. And then she says, I'm not gullible, but I am pragmatic. Is this her trying to see if Kate can be compromised? I think it's definitely saying that I can use this against you if I wish. I felt it was a warning rather than a working her out. She wasn't offering her a, an opportunity of any kind. It sounded to me like a warning. I took it to be, I've got this up my sleeve and we can scratch each other's backs. But the moment you step out of line, I'm going to use this. I agree. I think that's what I was saying, Demo. I think that's that's exactly the, the case. Okay, so let's move on to the theories and predictions for the final episode segment. So I've got I've come up with five questions for you guys, and you're going to come up with a yes or no answer for me. And whoever gets the most points will be crowned chief constable. Let's go with the first one. Do you think in episode seven, Joe Davidson will live to the end of the episode? Yes. I think it's a yes as well. So Neil and Damien are both going to go yes. I, I'm going to go no, just literally to be different. I think ultimately there's going to still be a little bit more redemption from Joe, So we'll get some more information out of her and then she will be killed for speaking somehow in the prison. That's my theory anyway. So I'm going no, she'll die. So the second question then, will we find out the identity of the bent copper formerly known as H? No. 
I'm going for yes because I don't think this show can last another series and not turn into shit. Sorry. I worry that this show is going to go down the roots of other shows and lose its momentum. I think because they've had record number of viewers for this season, that they will string it out for at least another series. I'm going to say, yes, we will find out, but AC12 won't. I think they'll leave us hanging right till the end, thinking we're not going to find out who it is, and then we will right at the end. That will lead into season seven. Okay, let's go with the third one then. Ted Hastings is bent. No. I, I, I can't do that to Ted. I, I, I think it would just break my heart if I found that to be true. I hope it's a no as well, because I was so annoyed by them trying to push that in the last series. It just makes no sense that Ted is bent. He may have done a questionable thing with this money and telling Lee Banks, but I, he can't be H. It just makes no sense. Just for the sake of being contrary, I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> You do realise, Adam, if you say yes to this, you're going to have to say no to the next two questions. No, not necessarily. The factions, they were talking about factions. I think that there is the potential for Hastings to be bent, Arnott to be bent, and Kate to be bent, and not one of them knows that the others are. Obviously, the unexplained stuff around Hastings that we've already talked about in this episode, that's my, that's my, my sort of mini reasoning. Steve Arnott is bent, number four, yes or no? I wish he was, but I don't think he is. <laughs> so it's very immature of me. I think it's an interesting question because he's part of Osborne's team and this could be the OCG's way of breaking down AC12 by having Steve as their mole from the get-go. But as for the same as Ted, I just don't think it makes any sense. So I'm going to say Arnott is not bent. So I'm going to go with yes. I think he is bent. My evidence for this is... As Damien's just pointed out, he was on Osborne's team. What better way to have a close eye on what's going on in AC12 than to set all of that up and have Arna in place just as that last option. There also was the moment we still haven't had explained when Lakewell's van was intercepted. Chloe mentioned it could have been someone within AC12 who tipped them off. So there is still the potential for there to be a mole within AC12. It would be a huge twist, and it's definitely been set up if, if that's the case. But over the amount of years, I mean, are not, never mind Martin Kronstadt, has to be an amazing actor. I don't think he knew until he read the script for episode seven of season six. We're back to clutching at straws, I think. Anyway, that's my theory. Um, Arnott is part of George Osborne's, not George Osborne's. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an evil man. I, I can imagine him being H. Arnott is part of Philip Osborne's faction. Hastings is part of Thurwell's faction. So the final one, and you, you boys have both said no to Ted and Steve. Do you think Kate Fleming is a bent copper? I think of those three... I, I mean, I wouldn't like to think that any of them are, but of those three, I think it's more likely to be Kate. We, she, right from day one, she's been working undercover. She clearly um, knows how to put on a disguise, as it were. I think if any of the three of them were to be bent, I think it would be Kate, but I'm going to say no, I don't think she is. 
I'm in agreement. She loves going undercover, doesn't she? There's nothing she loves more, but I don't think she's bent either. This is an interesting one for me, and you maybe you have to decide whether my answer is yes or no. I think she starts the episode and she's not a bent copper, and then she, by the time she ends the episode, she is a bent copper. What do you mean by that? Like, she isn't bent before episode seven of this series, and then she becomes bent. How can that happen over the period of an episode? I think she gets turned in that episode and does something that is illegal. What do you think might be in those credits then? Uh, they're not the credits, sorry. The, at the ending when they put up the text. How do you mean? So at the end of every series, in the way to try and make it seem like it's real life, they always say, like, Lindsay Denton was convicted of whatever and she had to serve two years. You see, you think, what, Kate will then end up being Carmichael's number two at the new AC24? Possibly, yeah. I also think that one of those sections will be buckles on the golf course. Yeah, almost certainly, right? Or hopefully on the golf course rather than with his jazz mags. And we'll see Chloe at Lenny James's grave. Yeah, Tony Gates. <laughs> RIP. Do they have golf courses in prison? Buckles is getting out. He's the criminal mastermind. He's he's out now. Well, this is the thing, right? Carmichael was obsessed with getting Buckles out. Last episode, she was on top of it. This one, she was she was really making sure that Buckles got let out, which you know equally tends to suggest, as we're saying, that she is part of that team or part of the OCG because Buckles, they're worried about might turn or say something so they just want to get him out i think he knows too much and he he may well be vulnerable who do you think will win a golf match between carmichael and buckles carmichael. come on it has to be carmichael surely yeah, absolutely absolutely if she plays if she plays carmichael if she doesn't then maybe buckles has a chance so was my answer then a yes or a no in your opinion i took your question initially as are these people already bent as okay. opposed to will they become bent? So okay. based on what you've said, I would say no, Kate isn't bent. If she ends up being bent, then that's not what you're asking. Okay. If it is what happens, I think I should get double points for that one. But anyway. So wait a second. So you're, you just, just for clarification, you've just hedged your bets. I've put my answer, Neil's adjudicated, my answer is no. I think just for clarification, we should say our answers mean at the very closing of this series, the character is either bent or not. So if we go by that theory, Adam, you are saying that Kate is bent. Okay, so that's a yes for me then. Well, before we run out of time, maybe we should do the Teddism bingo. Now, I had my vaccine this morning, so I have to confess, for the first time in this series, I didn't play. I do remember Ted asking God to give him strength, and I'm not sure he did. I don't think God gave Ted strength, no. I think he still feel, he feels ever weakened by his predicament. I don't have curtains in my living room, so I wasn't worried about Steve's waistcoat coming from my curtains. I thought Steve's waistcoat was cut out of curtains, not necessarily mine. I've definitely seen him in a better waistcoat. Well, Nobody Dies didn't get a tick, because obviously Ryan did. I don't remember hearing the word jizz mentioned. No, there was a, it was a jizz-free episode. Well, it did refer to the pictures of Gail Vela being planted that apparently had Terry Boyle's semen on. 
we tried something different this week and some of these are subjective. I mean, you could tick a box if you enjoy the fact that Ryan Pilkington was shot. I was happy with that. So I would tick that box. And you could tick a box if you find Steve a little bit sexy. Now, yeah, I'd tick that box as well. And well, Kate. Fair enough. But some people might not always think either of them are sexy all the time. So, I mean, it's just, it's just for some people, it's just a spare of the moment. I think it was when they both had their hands up in the air and Steve was in the bulletproof vest. That's what did it for me. Yeah. A man of action, the new Bond. Ted says again something he said before. I mean, definitely the fourth man. He's used that phrase before. That was all because Ted regularly says, I've said it before and I'll say it again. He didn't use that, but he definitely did say things that he said before, I'm sure. So I have it as four Teds out of 16 this week. And no line. Will we have someone winning next week in the finale? I think a bigger question is, will anyone other than me play? <laughs> I'll tell you what, we have a fan who, like clockwork, every Saturday asks us for our bingo card. And that is someone on Twitter who goes by at Graham underscore Pearson, who is totally on top of the bingo card. So a possible winning card. Otherwise, I wonder if Graham would be straight on to us. Well, I, I just want to say, so, sorry, Graham. This week, I came up with quite a humorous card when no one was likely to win. But next week, Damo's going to do it. So it'll be the best card ever. OK, let's see what I'm doing next week then. So aside from the line of duty, we've all been following the Oscar-nominated films. We've already released our spoilers-free podcast of each of the pictures nominated for Best Picture. We are really excited. We're recording this straight after the episode, as we've said before, of Line of Duty. But tonight is the Oscars. I'm definitely planning on watching. I'm not sure if Adam and Demo will, will, will make it. But we're going to do a spoilers assessment after the results, which we'll get to you soon. I'm actually calling in from, from Hollywood, Neil. I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm due to get my glad rags on and get on the red carpet any minute now. I was going to say, when, when we record our spoilers slash reaction podcast, are we going to do it suited and booted? <laughs> well, if it was filmed, that would be amazing. But, yeah, if you can suit and beat your voice, Damo. Darling, my voice is always suited and booted. So, yeah, do listen back to that podcast once you've watched the Oscars to see how right or wrong we are, and we will do our reaction episode to the Oscar wins very soon, and we look forward to bringing that to you. But I'm afraid, lads, um, as Ted might say, we haven't lost. We've just run out of time. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Very excited about next week's finale of Series 6 of The Line of Duty. We'll see you then. Signing out. Hasta la próxima. Farewell. <laughs> As Ted would say, let's not wait for the crumbs, son. I totally missed what he said there. Like, what did he say? Catherine was like, crow, I think. That makes much more sense. <laughs>